Boy in the Bubble and on John Marston's version of Over the Rainbow on the theme to start the hour. Uh, just seeing uh, pictures of a Russian armoured vehicles crossing a border uh, point in Ukraine. Don't know exactly where that is, but uh, the situation is unfolding uh, as we speak. And it's hard to know what to talk about this morning, apart from that, really. No, oh, I know. It's a really shocking thing. And for once, everybody leaving Kiev as well. Yeah, for once, Boris Johnson was right when he said that this is the greatest threat to peace since the end of the Second World War. And you think if uh, Putin overruns the entire country of Ukraine, then that pushes him right up against the NATO borders, against Poland, against Hungary, against Slovenia, and Belarus to the north is a Russian client state. So the uh, the Baltic uh, states are also threatened. Who knows where he's going to stop? And I think the only thing you can do is hit him in the wallet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know really what happened to the talks. Well, I mean, they offered talks, but I mean, Russia kept lying, didn't they? So we have no plans to invade Ukraine. They've been saying it for months, weeks and months. And um, every time they said uh, we're pulling our troops back from the border, they started putting more troops there. So you can't you can't believe a word he says. As I said earlier, I mean, Putin just thinks he's got a God-given right to take Ukraine because he thinks it's part of greater Russia. Uh, which historically isn't right anyway, but you can't just go around invading people in this day and age. It's just, you know, those days are over. And, you know, this this veiled nuclear threat as well is not helpful, saying that any Western power that intervenes will face the biggest uh, retaliation in their histories, you know. So, as I say, I mean, the sanctions didn't go far enough. He's got to go a lot further. I mean, take Russia out of the international banking system, stop them using SWIFT, uh, confiscate all the oligarchs' money in the West, maybe expel Russian people who are in Europe at the moment. Uh, who knows? But it's got to, it's got to, it's got to, something has got to happen to make him change his mind. Yes, no, something has got to happen, but, yeah. Well, we saw with Crimea in 2014, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile, and if the West doesn't do anything, he'll just carry on moving forward, you know, willy-nilly. Anything cheerful to say this morning? <laughs> My story from yesterday popped up. But I, no, I've got things coming up, things coming up. Things are looking up. <laughs> Especially as you beat Leeds 6 0 yeah. last night. The press review is brought to you by BMW Cote d'Azur. The London Times says a Russian invasion of eastern Ukraine could trigger one of the world's largest refugee crises, uh, with five million people displaced, according to the United States. A state of emergency was declared by the Ukrainian government yesterday, and it's since imposed martial law as it calls up reservists to confront Russian aggression. Fears of all-out war increased last night after heavy shelling from the Russian-controlled areas of Donetsk and Luhansk, including attacks using Grad rockets by both pro-Kremlin and Ukrainian forces. At least one Ukrainian soldier was killed. Uh, this morning, Ukrainian air defences said they shot down a Russian play, plane and there have been reports of uh, rocket attacks on several civilian areas in the country this morning. In this morning's Figaro, after the launch of a military operation in Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, described as war by uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, the French president has called for a Defence Council meeting at nine o'clock today. Uh, there is supposed to be still an emergency European summit held in Brussels on the situation in Ukraine, and President Macron is expected to attend and participate as the EU intends to prepare sanctions according to uh, Russia's actions. And discussions will also focus on the economic and migration consequences of the crisis.
Develt looks at uh, the possible NATO response to the crisis and says that Russia's aggression both unifies NATO and puts it under enormous pressure to provide deterrence and reassurance. If the 30-member alliance is benefiting from the shared threat assessment, it's also being scrutinised as to how it responds to the rapidly increasing Russian threats near its border. While NATO has no obligation to militarily defend non-member Ukraine, allies feel a sense of moral duty to uphold Ukrainian sovereignty and international law, even that's from afar, since no other country has agreed to put boots on the ground in case of attack. Uh, the paper adds, when it comes to alliance territory, NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg has emphasised reinforcement measures have been taken. He said, we've over 100 jets at high alert, and there are more than 120 Allied ships at sea, from the high north to the Mediterranean, and we'll continue to do whatever is necessary to shield the alliance from aggression. In response to Putin's recognition of Ukraine's breakaway regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, and his his decision to send more forces into eastern Ukraine, the United States added a thousand more troops to its already bolstered presence in the Baltics. And in the connection of, of France today, a retiring French boss gives staff more than 2.6 million euros in bonuses. Uh, it's not so much generosity as recognition, he said. His staff praise the firm's family business spirit. Can't take it with you. BBC World Service News live from London is next. The Press Review, brought to you by BMW. It's time for the Thursday pop quiz. Yes, and it's all about birthdays today. It's all about war, but... No, birthdays, birthdays. Born on this day in 1942, Paul Jones, English singer, actor, harmonica player, radio Manfred personality. Mann. Yes, OK, but I'm changing it a bit today. So it's Manfred Mann. They had the 1964 UK and US number one single with... Paul Jones. No, what was the song called? Their 1964 number one single. What, Manfred Mann? With Manfred Mann, yeah. 1964. Oh, hello, you've got help. Yeah. This isn't fair, two against one. Is it 54321? No. Is it do-wa-diddy-diddy-dum-diddy-do? Okay, it certainly is, but that's not my question. Oh. My question is, to get a point, can you tell me the first line of the song? What, do wa diddy diddy yeah. There she was, just a-walking down the streets. Correct. That, yeah, okay. Okay, I'll give that to you. I don't get two points for that. <laughs> Second song, same principle. Uh, born on this day in 1947, Rupert Holmes, a British-American composer, singer-songwriter who had the 1980 US number one... Escape. Yes. The Pina Colada song. First line of the song, please. I was tired of my baby. Very baby. good. Being together Yeah, no, too wait, 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 no. That's... He didn't tell me. Well, he got it correct. You got it wrong, in fact. What? Go on, repeat. I was tired of my baby. No. No. I was Pete. tired of my woman. Pete, go on. I was tired of you. <laughs> I was tired of my lady. Oh, right. Hey, point, point goes to Peter there. Half a point. <laughs> and finally, born yeah. on this day in 1948, Dennis Waterman, British singer, <laughs> actor, who had the 1980 UK number three single with the theme from the television show... Minder! Yeah. And the song... I could be so good for you. Yeah, and it does no, make me think of you. For some reason, it makes me think of Maccas. That's not, that's not the I mean, first line, though, is it? No, and I want the first song, and the first line of the song. If you want, I'll change the situation. You're very close, but you're not quite there. Oh, I can't remember, go on. If you want to, I'll change the E situation. The E situation, the E situation. But it was good enough. You don't look impressed, do you? Large gin tea, please, Dave. Oh, I love this song. Can't but not put you in a good mood. Well, Terry! Hey! The news is next. What does it come to, <laughs> honestly? Riviera Radio. Business. Good morning. Good morning. How are we today? 
Uh, good, thank you. Watching the events very closely overnight, of course. And I suppose the first thing we should mention is primarily, of course, there's a humanitarian crisis that uh, looks like it's developing on the borders of Europe. So we need to, of course, be cognizant of that. But also, of course, the reaction from uh, global financial markets, which, as you can imagine, has, uh, has been uh, rapid in terms of the dramatic escalation of the conflict in Ukraine overnight. Investors, as you can imagine, have rushed into safe haven assets. Developed government bonds have been rallying. If you look at the 10-year Treasury yields, well, they've fallen 13 basis points overnight to 1.86%. Remember, they've been rising over the course of the past few weeks on expectations that uh, the Federal Reserve will be aggressively hiking interest rates. So there is some question about what what that um, what the uh, the conflict means in terms of central bank policy, the dollar and the yen of course have strengthened. Gold, as you imagine, is up. A traditional safe haven is up 1.8 percent. Gold trading at 1,942 dollars an ounce this morning. We knew that the reaction would come in terms of the energy markets, and that's where we're seeing the greatest action. European gas prices have surged 30 percent. Brent crude is now above $100 a barrel, currently trading at $103 a barrel. The Russian stock market has opened, you can imagine it's significantly to the downside, currently off around about 14%, as is the Russian currency, the ruble, which is off around 6%, having fallen through the 86 level against the dollar, back to its lowest level since 2016. Asian markets have been down overnight, down around about 2.5%, but we are, of course, set for a rough ride on the European bourses this morning. If you look at European futures, they're down between around about four and four and a half percent. So some dramatic numbers to give you in terms of those opening calls this morning. Currently calling the FTSE down 248 points, less effective perhaps than some of its European counterparts. The DAX over in Frankfurt down 726 points. CACRON in Paris down 308 points. So markets, I think, will we wait to see, of course, what the next round of sanctions will be we had that first tranche announced yesterday that was seen as perhaps relatively weak given the circumstances one suspects that will be ramped up we'll be waiting for the nato response and also try to gauge what the conclusion of these events are likely to be and maybe that will be over the course of the coming days maybe even weeks yeah, just seeing uh, pictures from Kiev, Hank, of uh, thousands of cars trying to get out of the city uh, before um, Russia takes any further action. And as you said, I mean, our first thoughts are with the people of Ukraine and, uh, you know, the, the loss of life and people have been killed already. Um, but uh, in terms of the global economy, I mean, it affects all of us, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just oil and gas prices, but also uh, supply chain issues and also anybody who's got any investments, be it a pension or anything else. Yeah, exactly right. You can see that playing out right across the board. And I think for markets, uh, they'll be looking to see perhaps or try to consider what the end game is likely to be, um, whether it's about regime change in Ukraine, whether it's about occupation, although I did see that uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, said Russia does not plan on occupying Ukraine and appealed for the Ukrainian soldiers to lay down their weapons and go home, said Russia will aim for demilitarization uh, of Ukraine. So it's hard to exactly understand how that's going to play out. But you say important in terms of the flow of energy, as we were talking about yesterday, that's particularly important in terms of Europe, of course. 
a European ports, about 40% of its gas from Russia. Germany's even higher, around about 50%. So you can see some significant effects very early on in terms of that process. So while there's this uncertainty in terms of the markets, then I think investors will continue to remain very nervous. Yeah, interesting you mentioned the gas because uh, we had a German economic institute saying this morning that uh, Europe could heat citizens' homes and power its industry on existing gas reserves for the re remaining months of the winter, even if there's a total halt to Russian gas imports. And you said Germany imports around 50% of its gas from Russia. France less so. In fact, uh, France is mainly supplied by Norway. Uh, there is some Russian gas, but Algeria also supplies some French gas too. But it can start to filter through right across the markets if you find these shortfalls coming through and you see it in terms of energy markets as well as we were talking about previously if you go back uh, to more normal conditions i think 2019 russia was exporting somewhere around about five million barrels of oil per day if that starts to be impacted that becomes sanctioned of course then that will take significant supply out of uh, markets and uh, has the potential to push up prices which are also already elevated from uh, supply constraints and recovering demand coming through and that has the impact of further pushing up inflation but potential bankers perhaps will need to offset risks around that to the trade shock that would be developed and downside risk to growth as well so for policymakers, it's certainly set to be a very difficult time to uh, to navigate what about uh, sanctions, Henk? Um, you know, international experts saying the sanctions so far have fallen uh, way short of what uh, is even near necessary to get uh, President Putin to change his mind. Uh, the EU's acted more aggressively than the UK and the US, but, uh, you know, are we going to see um, Russia banned from the SWIFT uh, system? Will um, Russian assets in the West be frozen? Well, what's next, do you think? Well, as you say, the first round, the first tranche that we heard against Russia was probably uh, weaker than anticipated. It did target some of the country's banks, sovereign debt and a number of individuals, only around about three individuals. One would suspect that we'll see, as I say, a significant escalation of those measures coming through and officials have been warning in relation to that. There's a number of areas that they can continue to focus on. We've already heard about Nord Stream 2, of course, and uh, the fact that that's been... Uh, denied the, the permits to be developed. Alongside that, as you say, individuals close to the, um, to the Putin administration are likely to, uh, to fill the personal sanctions along with the country's businesses. And then you start to think about limitations in terms of their ability to import and export, so importing things like raw materials and exporting finished goods. So certainly set to be um, measures that will be hitting the Russian economy uh, relatively hard. What about a complete uh, economic and trade embargo? Um, I think they'll try to maintain some element of negotiating powers. If it's clear that R Russia will move aggressively as they have moved aggressively and then seek to find some type of negotiation out of this process. If if um, the West plays all its cards in one go, then then that will reduce some of their negotiating power, one would suspect. But we also, of course, wait to see what the NATO reaction is, and that could also be important. You say that, but I mean, apart from uh, supplying Ukraine with weapons and beefing up uh, their forces in NATO countries bordering Belarus and, uh, and Ukraine, it's hard to see what they can do. They can't get directly involved. Otherwise, you know, that really is a third world war, isn't it? Well, that is a dramatic escalation, even from where we are today, as you can rightly like said. And I haven't seen too many uh, commentators suggesting exactly that, that you could get to the point where 
where the West would be directly fighting, or NATO would be directly fighting Russian forces. That that would certainly be seen as a, a probably a step too far. Well, you have to wait and see whether he takes over the entire country of Ukraine, and uh, you know who knows what he might do after that. Foreign exchanges, please. Got a pound against the dollar trading at one thirty-five this morning. Euro dollar coming in at one twelve and a half. Can you get just under one euro twenty cents for your British pound this morning? Thank you very much. Hope we have better news tomorrow, but I doubt it. So hang pots and Barclays. On FM and DAB Plus across the Côte d'Azur, on your phone and worldwide online. This is Riviera Radio with the latest local news for the south of France. Sarah Lysa has the top stories across the Riviera. A man has been charged in Nice for an attempted femicide. The victim was stabbed on Monday, February the 21st, 48 hours after having gone to the police accusing her husband of sexual assault. According to the family, the victim's five-year-old son called emergency services after she was stabbed and strangled in her sleep, suffering severe injuries in the neck and face. The woman had reported her husband to the police over the weekend, saying she had been a victim of a sexual assault, but she had not filed a complaint. The man had been placed in police custody and then released on Sunday evening for lack of sufficient evidence. And the couple was known to the courts for acts of domestic violence dating back to 2020. While the hunt for sponsorships for France's presidential election is in full swing, uh, the mayors of three towns in the VAR have granted their sponsorships uh, to far-left leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon and far-right leaders Marine Le Pen and Eric Zemmour. Uh, faced with the risk of the three candidates representing 42% of French people uh, that they would be excluded from the presidential election, uh, the mayor of Grimaud gave his sponsorship to Zemmour, the mayor of the Gare-Frenet gave his to Jean-Luc Mélenchon and the mayor of Plan de la Tour gave his to Marine Le Pen. Candidates require 500 signatures to be able to run in the elections. To date, Jean-Luc Mélenchon has 442, Le Pen 393 and Zemmour 350. Meanwhile, the French have until March the 2nd to register online to vote or March the 4th to register at a town hall. The first round of the presidential elections in France has been set for April the 10th. An emergency European summit is to be held today in Brussels on the situation in Ukraine. During the summit, in which French President Emmanuel Macron will participate, the EU intends to prepare sanctions according to the actions of Russia. Discussions will also focus on the economic and migration consequences of the crisis. Meanwhile, France's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has advised the French against travelling to Ukraine until further notice, classifying the country as a red zone and inviting French nationals in the country to leave without delay. In an open letter posted on social networks and addressed to France's Minister of Health, the Office of Interns in Medicine of Nice has warned about working conditions of doctors in training since the start of the health crisis and the lack of consideration from the French government. In the letter, doctors are asking for a salary increase for all interns in France with reduced hours and fair pay. Strike action has been announced today on the local Envibus network, affecting commuters in Antibes and Sofia Antipolis. Uh, the action will affect all routes except for school buses uh, between 9am and 4.30pm. 63 French billionaires are emitting as much greenhouse gas as that of 50% of the entire French population. That's according to a report by Greenpeace and Oxfam entitled Billionaires Are Burning the Planet. They say they are not referring to the lifestyle of the ultra-rich, but their financial heritage through their participation in polluting companies, which is the largest item in their total carbon footprint. 
France is the first country in the world to introduce a legislation requiring that all washing machines sold in France are to be fitted with microplastic filters by 2025. The idea is to capture the microplastic residues torn from the fibres of clothes during a wash. And finally, registrations are now open to work at the Grand Prix in Monaco. As part of the 5th Monaco E-Prix on April the 30th, the 13th Historic Monaco Grand Prix from May the 13th to the 15th and the Monaco Formula 1 Grand Prix at the end of May, the Automobile Club de Monaco is looking for people. Uh, to find out more and submit an application, uh, go to www.acm.mc. Riviera Radio, Sports News. Football, there were two ties in the European Champions League round of 16 last night. Atletico Madrid and Manchester United drew one all and Benfica and Ajax drew 2-2. In the English Premier League last night, Burnley beat Spurs 1-0. Conte throwing his toys out of the pram. Well done, Burnley. Saying, if I'm not the right man, get rid of me. Well... Uh, Watford lost 4-1 at home to Crystal Palace. They must be going down now, surely. And Liverpool thrashed Leeds 6-0 <laughs> to close the gap on Manchester City at the top of the table to three points. What? I didn't say anything this morning. I was very well behaved. You were. Well, there's a, there's a war going on, so well, I know, no, no wonder, really. <laughs> anyway, we must smile on. Here are the details from BBC Sports. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Hello, I'm Al Ross and BBC Sport and Liverpool have closed the gap on leaders Manchester City to three points after cruising to a sixth Premier League win in a row at Leeds United's expense at a raucous Anfield. 6-0 the final score, meaning their goal difference is now better than City's, but manager Jurgen Klopp says that was not a key thought. We know that we are able to win football games, but we have to win a lot against all the difficult opponents to beat probably the best team in the world. And um, that's uh, a tricky task, but we will give it a try. We don't know where it will end up. Burnley secured back-to-back -back Premier League wins for the first time in 13 months as Ben Mee scored the only goal to beat Tottenham at a rain-lashed turf moor. Secured victory that takes Burnley to win two points of safety given their better goal difference. And within striking distance of three of the four sides immediately above them, here's their goal scorer. Massively important, you know, to get two wins together as well, back to back, especially when you're down there, is, is important. Six points in two games is, is massive for us. You know, we had games in hand, we've still got games in hand. It's, it's only an opportunity. We've got to take them opportunities and, and get points on the board. And you know, tonight was a night that we, we've done that. Crystal Palace earned their first Premier League win of 2022 with victory over former boss Roy Hodgson's relegation threatened Watford. Wilfred Zahar scoring two late goals to wrap up the points for Patrick Vieira's side. Here is the Watford boss, Roy Hodgson. Yeah, well, that's the danger, you know, when you get a very good away win, then the next game's at home, everyone expects you to come out and, and win that game because that's what the dreams are made of. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. And youngster Anthony Alanga was Manchester United's hero as they earned a one-all draw at Atletico Madrid in the Spanish capital in the first leg of their Champions League knockout tie. And for more football news from the BBC, go to bbc.com football. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. That's what dreams are made of. Is that what you said? You're going to say hello then? <laughs> Come on, over here. It's one and only Mr. Peter Mackley. Hello. Good morning. You know what they say about this place? You just can't go. You can check out any time you like, but you, you can, can never, never leave. leave. Yeah, it's like a time warp coming back here. <laughs> okay. Going up the stairs and early morning starts, and uh, don't know how you guys do it. Don't know how you guys do it. Well, it's lovely to see you. Um, how's things at the lockup? <laughs> 
I said, when I walked up here, I thought within five minutes, he's going to mention the lockup, he's going to mention Watford going down, and he's going to mention that singer, which somehow I got associated with in the uh, in the past. I don't know which one he's talking about. What, but Cliff Richard? Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, all good. Yeah, all good. Good to see you guys. Uh, come to check up on us, have you? I, yeah, I'm surprised you're still alive doing these sort of shifts uh, yeah, non-stop. Yeah, uh, yeah well, you, yeah. you say that, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, will any of us be alive by the end of the week? That's what oh. I want to know. Looking pretty grim, isn't it? Anyway, back to the sports in the English Championship last night. Derby's chances of survival were dented after they lost 2-1 home to Millwall. Fulham beat Peterborough 2-1. Huddersfield were 2-1 winners over Cardiff. QPR beat Blackpool 2-1. Sheffield United beat Blackburn 2-1. And Stoke lost 2-1 home to Luton. Formula 1, Lando Norris and the McLaren set the fastest time on the first day of pre-season testing in Barcelona on Wednesday. Norris clocked a fastest time of 1 minute 19.568 seconds with Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari's second quickest and the second Ferrari of Carlos signs third. Lewis Hamilton was fifth quickest in the Mercedes with world champion Max Verstappen in ninth place. Testing continues until Friday but we shouldn't be reading anything into it at this stage. Uh, cricket Joe Root says he's grateful to still be England test captain despite the recent rounds in Australia. Head coach Chris Silverwood and director of cricket Ashley Giles left their roles after the 4-0 defeat but Root has kept his job. He maintains he's the right man to lead England's test side as they prepare for the tour of West Indies. And in rugby union, Johnny Sexton is fit for Ireland's Six Nations game against Italy this weekend, but Locke Ian Henderson is out after testing positive for COVID. The return of Sexton will be a boost for Ireland after he missed the defeat in France with a hamstring problem. Joey Carberry is set to return to the bench to make way for Sexton, despite his good performance in the win against Wales. Here's the marine weather forecast for coastal areas up to 20 miles offshore the Almaracim and Navarre. The general situation is a depression, 1,015 millibars over the Alps, and a ridge of high pressure, 1,025 millibars over Spain and southwestern France. Winds are southwesterly, force 3 to 5, the sea is slight to moderate. Visibility is good. Barometric pressure, Saint Jean Cap Ferrat, 1,025 millibars, and the Alec for Friday. Clear skies, force 2 to 4, northeasterly winds, slight seas, and good visibility. For North Corsica, uh, winds are southwesterly, force 3 to 5, the sea is slight to moderate, visibility is good, barometric pressure at Cap Course, 1,024 millibars, and the outlook for Friday, clear skies, force 2 to 4 northerly winds, slight seas and good visibility. Riviera Radio, weather. Partially cloudy today with hazy sunshine, lights to moderate southwesterly winds, temperatures 16 degrees today. Overnight lows 8 to 11 degrees with clear skies. Friday and the start of the weekend mainly fine. Highs of 17 degrees tomorrow, 14 degrees on Saturday. Finally. Hardest working city in the UK has been revealed, as well as those who love to grab a pint after a long day. Watford. No. Sheffield has been really? named the hardest working city in the UK, followed by Belfast and Glasgow, according to the research. A study polling 2,000 office workers revealed the different attitudes to work between UK cities, with those based in Sheffield working the longest hours. And 83% of workers in the Yorkshire city have worked more than their con contracted hours. In contrast, those in Glasgow enjoy the earliest finishes, while those based in Leeds uh, think them and their colleagues are the most sociable outside of work. Work. And while companies in Newcastle and Leeds come out joint top for being the most appreciative of staff and colleagues, the study also found those in Leeds consume the most cups of tea and coffee, on average up four cups a day. We're so going to say beer, but. In Bristol, workers take the longest lunch breaks, getting a solid 30 minutes a day. 
It also emerged that two-thirds of all workers generally enjoy where they work, with the average worker typically taking part in two social events per month. A further 38% consider their colleagues as friends, with 21% enjoying their company outside of work at least twice a month. They're very friendly up north. They are, yeah. yeah. And they certainly can drink a lot in Leeds, I can vouch for that, because I went there a couple of times and, God, they can put it away. Well, that 30-minute lunch break in Bristol, they should come down here. Come down here? Come down here. You come down here. (laughs) (laughs) Can't do that anymore. What? Well, you know, you need a um, work permit and everything now, don't you? Well, you can come down here for a holiday, but... Yeah, you can still come down here. For a few days. (laughs) 90, isn't it? Provided you behave yourself. (laughs)